Welcome to Working Towards Our Purpose, a podcast that offers a different perspective on what a job can be. For everyone out there that's heard that voice in the back of their head asking for something more, it's time to listen to it. I'm your host, Gino, and join me as I interview people who have decided to work in their own purpose. Together, we will learn, become inspired, and hopefully find our own path towards working in our purpose. Joining me today is Alex Engloff, who is the owner of The Remedy Co., Connecticut's first craft CBD company, and owner of The Cultured Cafe, which is a health cafe located in New Haven that provides fermented foods and drinks and products for your gut health. Alex, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. How you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing quite well. Good to hear. Good to hear. So yeah, let's just uh, start by telling me a little bit about like your upbringing and like, you know, where you grew up, like where you went to school and that sort of thing. And like maybe your interest and stuff as like a kid. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I grew up in Westville in New Haven. I uh, went to school at Amity, Woodbridge, um, then Pace University, UConn, kind of bounced around, didn't really, uh, didn't finish college, didn't really uh, care that much about school, to be honest. It, uh, I think I probably started off, probably goes back to my, my childhood and the fact that uh, my sister was newly born and I was getting booted off to kindergarten, which I was very upset about. So I had a bit of an antagonistic relationship with school from the beginning but always had a little bit of a problem with authority in general i come from a long line of pharmacists my my family owned silver's drug shop in west haven for several generations until my uncle sold it um i think while i was in middle school or something like that so it wasn't particularly a big part of of my life but as far as being kind of basted in pharmacopoeia and uh, kind of pharmaceutical and medical way of thinking about the world was definitely pretty inherent to my upbringing. My mom was a psych nurse, so there's a lot of uh, diagnosing going on, and there was a pill for every diagnosis. And uh, as the person, the little person subject to uh, a lot of those kind of off-the-cuff diagnoses, I think I had an early start into my skepticism of uh, the soundness of that entire process because of my mom's sort of casual pronouncing of these different diagnoses and my understanding that many of those were either just difficulties in growing up in my particular household and difficulties in our relationship and and dynamics so i think from that it started kind of the first seeds of my maybe distrust in the pharmaceutical industry and medical process although you know, I didn't necessarily have a lot of ideas of alternatives at that point. Um, but growing up, I was always very creative, kind of out-of-the-box thinker, always wanted to know how things worked, like to draw and write and 
create anything I could, like Rube Goldberg type, you know, marble tracks and creating my own card games and board games or, you know, a thousand different games to occupy uh, my younger sister who had, you know, maybe five minute attention span at the time. So infinite games from that. So, so just really generative, creative force. I think that's kind of been maintained and, and got me where I am combined with my distrust or displeasure with the uh, kind of medical establishment and pharmaceutical approach to uh, how, how things were being uh, treated through allopathic medicine. Yeah, thanks for sharing all that. I noticed two things, that, or a few things. It seems like you were very, like you said, creative and like always wanted to think outside the box. And that sort of thought process or like way of being is definitely stifled by school for sure. So I, it kind of makes sense that, you know, being like that growing up, you also didn't really like school. I found that similar in my own upbringing that like I always felt constrained by school and like doing things that you didn't want to be doing, didn't understand why you were doing them. But for me, I, I did go to college and went to four years and graduated and everything. What did you, what did you go to school for or, or try to go to college for? And uh, how did that look like as far as not finishing it? And like, what made you decide to stop? Well, I was going for an environmental science. And I mean, I, I, yeah, I just really was not, you know, taking school very seriously. For me, I just, there's just a huge disconnect between, there was a big dis- disconnect between school and where that and how that might be applied and what you're doing outside of school. And I never really was able to kind of bridge that gap and, you know, determine what I wanted to be doing with myself through school. I was always very aware of these classes almost have no reflection on the actual activities or processes that, you know, will be needing to be done with this degree or what we're going to actually be doing. And I think in order to even get a taste of what one might be doing in a certain field, you need to be, you know, three or four years into your degree in order to start doing field work or, you know, internship or something that might actually give you a kind of glimpse into what that might actually be like. So I think it's kind of an insane, topsy-turvy sort of process. Yeah, I was gonna say, I definitely agree with that. And I would even say further so, like I didn't, so I went to school for mechanical engineering. I didn't know what it was until six months into my first job. <laughs> like I didn't understand at all what an engineer did. And it is very crazy that you decide at, you know, 18 or 17 to go and take this four or five year path to think about what you want to do in five years. Yeah. So I actually got uh, arrested at UConn because I was uh, selling a fair amount of psychedelics and things while going to school. So that's what stopped me uh, from continuing at, at UConn. And then from there, I was incarcerated for about a year and a half, got out, and then, you know, 
kind of for the first time had freedom and money. Although, I mean, I was on parole, so not that much freedom, but at least just like money and a car. And so that was kind of the most agency I'd ever had, weirdly enough, even though I was technically restricted to staying within the state and there's all these potential forces that could be unleashed upon me from a pin drop. Interesting. So was it more so like in contrast to the previous year and a half of being incarcerated that felt like such a like a freedom sort of thing? I I have a lot of questions about that, but (laughs) that's my first one. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. I mean, I think I was also in a really good mindset while incarcerated. Mm. Um, I obviously literally physically not the least, you know, the least freedom one could possibly have, but still within, I mean, what that does is it makes you realize that you can either control your environment, control your actions, or you can change your mindset and the way you're processing your reality and how you're thinking about it. And when you're incarcerated, you can't really change your environment. You can't really do anything about any of it outside of just changing the way you process it and uh, changing your kind of framing. So instead of just saying, oh, I wish I had that right now. Uh, I wish I would never got myself into this so I could have that thing I want. Just think about, oh, man, that that thing that I want is going to be so good when I can finally have it. You know, and that that's it's so applicable to you know any point in your life, and and it's still a mindset that I I seek to adopt and sometimes falter from for sure. Um, but no, I mean, literally, I didn't feel like I didn't I really didn't have much agency growing up. I feel like, like I didn't I didn't really have a car. Parents were a little bit overbearing, but also didn't really give me a lot of opportunity. Like I never really looked at colleges. Like my hand wasn't really like held through any of these things. And I also was not all over it or, you know, caring to the point where I could nag them into, you know, whatever, taking me on college tours or like even, you know, the basic things going and hanging out with my friends was like difficult to do. So, yeah, I think I was I was a little bit restricted until I went away to school and then, you know, it was just a little bit crazy and just, you know, excited to just have these opportunities, but never really had the opportunity to learn how to balance responsibilities and all the potential of things that, that I wanted to do. So I think getting yeah, getting out of out of jail was really kind of this opportunity where I finally, you know, could kind of go where I wanted and do what I wanted to a large extent. It was it was pretty freeing. I, I definitely had a really good mindset that I kind of fostered during uh my imprisonment, but ironically also sort of just had this agency for the first time. Um just kind of interesting mm. to reflect on. Mm. What do you think led to you having that sort of mindset while you were incarcerated? Because I could imagine 
that could go many ways. Like, you know, being in that sort of situation could surely affect your mindset negatively. What do you think kept your mind, you know, positive or, or, you know, in, in a, in a good reframing mindset? Well, I guess part of my instinct is to say you don't have a choice, but obviously you, you have a choice. I also did a very hefty dose of LSD a couple of weeks for a few weeks before getting arrested. So I was still kind of riding that out and still in that sort of headspace. So I think that helped. But I also, I think I have a little bit of a, I kind of thrive in maybe like chaotic environments or kind of up against the ropes or kind of adverse situations. For some reason, I get like a kind of serene mental clarity from maybe like extreme or adverse scenarios. So even pretty much immediately, like it was like 6 a.m., when they raided my dorm room and you know maybe like 6 45 by the time i was in the cop car and you know i was just asking the cops like hey like how do you feel about this right now like are you gonna go home and are you gonna like are you gonna tell your family that you like took this scumbag off the street that was like poisoning students and that like is something you're proud of and you think like needs to be done and that I'm just like a bad person and they were not very passionate about what they did and they're they're like please like come on man we're just trying to put food on the table for our families like they really didn't have an opinion Mm -hmm. on it at all if anything I think the response showed some guilt in the fact that they like they didn't really want to hear acknowledge that or like give me a real answer but i use that as, as an example of like these are like i was immediately just kind of went like curious journalistic kind of mode so for whatever reason you know like when i'm injured or in a uh abnormal sort of a situation for for whatever reason i i seem to have pretty cogent kind of response to them by some kind of reflex. Hmm. Yeah, no, I like that. But yeah, I, I could I could definitely relate to that a little bit. It, it's kind of like almost like you get to a point where you have to make a decision and then it becomes motivating for you to like make the decision because it's like, well, I have to pick one or the other and I guess I'll pick the one that I think is best. And yeah, I don't know that I've always worked I guess better under pressure too. If I've if I have too much time to do something, like I won't do it or I won't figure it out. But if I have like a lot of things to do, then I'll be able to like work more efficiently and kind of I don't know see things more clearly. Um, so I guess I could I could I could resonate with that a little bit. But that is that's really funny that story about asking them about what they were doing and if they felt good with it, and they were just like, hey, I'm just just doing my like just just trying to get paid here. And like, I don't know, that's, that's <laughs> so funny into like thinking about what you're actually doing with your day to day or your life or like how your actions affect other people and people just 
or at least in that case, just wanting to ignore that and not think about that aspect of it and only think about like, well, I'm still getting my paycheck. So that's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> so very, very like corporate mindset sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where, uh, yeah. My response is like, well, you know, people get paid pretty well to kill people. I imagine, you know, why not get into that? Right. Yeah. yeah. We can not think about that too, you know, <laughs> that might, it might be nice. Big paycheck. But yeah, it's just sad. I mean, I think the world would be a lot better place if everyone did things that aligned with their values, if that was possible. Yeah, no, that, that, that statement right there is exactly how I feel. And it's very succinctly articulated. And that's like part of the reason of this podcast is I feel like if people were able to, and I know it's hard sometimes, you know, you have outside pressures and obligations and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, I think you do have a choice in what you do with your time here. And it's, yeah, I don't know. I think if, if more people cared about what they did and it was aligned with their values, it just makes every other aspect of your life more enjoyable or more better too. Cause like, as soon as I quit my corporate job, I felt this huge anchor just be like, I don't have to carry it anymore because I wasn't doing this thing I didn't feel connected to at all and even didn't really like the whole values of the companies that I worked for. But then I was able to like, because I wasn't carrying that, be better to the people around me and be more present to the people around me. So I think that just, it's like a butterfly effect. If you're doing something that you care about, it just affects every other aspect of your life and all the people around you. So yeah, I I like, I like how you said that, like very succinct. Um, so yeah, what, so next question would be like, what did, um, what did your life look like after you got out and like you deciding what you wanted to do and like, did you know what you wanted to do right away or was it like trial and error of things or what what was the next stage of your life like? I mean, at first I was just trying, just getting used to being out. I mean, it was an incredible, like kind of sensory experience, like very overwhelming to be in like grocery store like you know having so many options at these places time going by incredibly fast all the time especially you know like the first time i opened up a laptop and went on facebook and it was like five hours boom gone like an insane juxtaposition to have like within a day's time i'm going like reading all day and doing some push-ups and drawing and journaling so just back to like you know, this, I never TV or anything you know, that entire time or, or a pillow. And, um, hmm. so, so, I, you know, at first I just kind of started like going out, seeing live music, kind of chilling. Like I had, you know, I had some money saved, you know, just getting laid a lot, like really just enjoying life and indulging, um, a little bit and probably just, you know, making up for for uh that time lost um because yeah i mean like i said i just i had a lot more agency i was a very different person than i got out and like the world was also very different like responding very differently to me so there's a lot of playing within that i was working i got a job at the geek squad and best buy fixing computers there for, for them for a couple of years. And then while I was doing that, sort of stumbled on CBD, started going to the dispensary a little bit, 
and was pretty baffled about how poorly a lot of their products were formulated and just thought, I think I could do a lot better than this without too much trouble and kind of looked at the CBD landscape at the time. It was, it was very early. There was no regulations. There wasn't really enough on paper saying that it was legal, even though there was a national farm bill and just start tinkering around, started looking at the industry, seeing that kind of like the top dogs were literally just putting the amount of CBD in their product that they said they were going to. And that was like the highest laud and expectation that one could possibly hold a company to. And I said, wow, that's a pretty low bar. I think I could add a lot of value on top of just being honest with a quantity of CBD. So I started taking CBD stacking different things on it just like i was used to okay so i guess i should take it back like rewind a little bit while i was um selling all these psychedelics i was taking some of those proceeds and i was putting them just you know to all sorts of different experiments i always really kind of like to, to experiment whether it was supplements related to the gym performance or you know back at yukon i was making study aids and just giving those away I was making things for people to take uh, before psychedelic experiences that would potentiate them and things afterwards to help them kind of reintegrate and come back to uh, Earth in a smooth fashion. So I was no stranger to doing research on on various compounds and being intrigued by them and and wanted, wanted to try them and always kind of had a knack for discerning my own use case for particular compounds and extracts. And actually from that time at UConn, selling all these things, I was buying a lot of stuff on the dark web or whatever, you know, the uh, Silk Road. And so through that time, I'd really tried, you know, not everything that exists, but the vast majority of different things that exist in a variety of different forms and different potencies. And from that, built out like a pretty good intuition for what different grades of different extracts feel like and what qualities they kind of convey, what something more raw versus more refined feels like. And so from that personal experience, it was able to just kind of like keep keep adding to that and building out this intuition that started with more so, you know, recreational drugs and things. Although I, I think all of those have uh, medicinal use cases as well. And then continuing into more and more subtle things. And, and then realizing that there is kind of this whole world of things that add primary benefits, side benefits, and zero downsides or risks, generally kind of natural medicine in general. And I think the CBD falling into that category as well. So so through that, developing all these different sorts of products, developing branding, you know, learning about graphic design, learning about web design and web platforms and, you know, all the things you really need to do to put together sort of a rudimentary 
business or making an LLC. All of it just came down to just looking things up on the internet and then trying things out and chipping away at them. Everything seems very hard and if not impossible from far away. And then you start chipping away at it and, and, you know, nothing is that hard. I think there's kind of an interesting flip from a certain distance. You think, ah, that's like, that can't be that hard. It's gotta be pretty easy. And then you start going after it. And then you get a little closer and you're like, oh, fuck, man. Like, I don't know about these specific things. Like, you know, a little bit more than you did before. You're really seeing the hurdles more clearly. But then when, when you start approaching them, you know, you can just kind of knock out one after the other. And just, it's just doing things. And you're always going to be better off from, from doing some things than not doing anything at all and caught up in analysis paralysis. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with that. And and that is kind of funny how it, it seems to work like that. I don't know why it made me think of this, but uh, I don't like going through like mail and like physical things. Like I hate getting letters and like having to do something, call somebody. I had this stack of letters on my desk that have been like piling up. And the other day, like yesterday I looked at them and I was like, all right, let me just read these and figure out what I actually need to do. I looked at it and I was like, that's not that hard at all. But I was thinking it was going to like take this whole day to do all this different stuff. But I think it's like the your assumption of like, I, I think about this a lot. Like if you think it's going to be hard, then it's going to be harder. But if you just don't have that like preconceived notion, then it will just be what it is. Like you said, just do things and you'll be better off. Just figure it out and do it. If it doesn't work, cool. Do something else. Like I like that idea of just like rapidly doing things and figuring things out. So with the Remedy Co., when did it like start becoming like a business that you thought like, hey, this is like working and it's, you know, something I should continue to pursue? Well, I, I had the website and the sales were were coming in and the industry itself was you know, bustling in, in its infancy and, and growing. And, you know, it, it started taking more, more and more of, of my time and, you know, it's attracting some attention and I started building out a laboratory for it in a commercial space and working on kind of taking things to the next level. And then I, well, I got fired technically from my job at Best Buy. And then uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to focus on this full time. I did leave. I, um, I was going back to school at Southern for a semester or two and stopped going to school because once again just wasn't very interested in it wasn't paying a lot of attention didn't feel very committed and i you know i was kind of taking uh, some shit from from teachers while having important decisions to make over you know using my phone or something in class they thought i was texting a friend or you know something unimportant and I was like, I, you know, I don't feel like dealing with this from teachers, you know, when I'm supposed to be paying for this service here and then teaching me, badgering me. So there was a little bit of a leap. It wasn't like I was necessarily totally, you know, making in all, all the money I needed to at the time. But 
I just figured, you know what, like, let me put my all into this and see where it takes me and kind of fully commit myself to um, taking this to the fullest extent. I actually didn't really end up paying myself for, for a little while. It took a couple people telling me that I needed to pay myself to actually start paying myself. Hmm. There's a, like a, I guess a quote that I read somewhere. I don't remember it was some book. And there's like two different schools of thought. Like some people say you should pay yourself last in a business. And then some people say that you should pay yourself first. And I think the second is, is a better approach. Cause if you pay yourself first and then you have to pay these other, like, you know, you owe money to other people, it's going to make you figure out how to do it because you're, you'll be more dedicated to paying that person because you owe them something versus you would yourself. Cause a lot of times you're like, well, I'll just get it next month or, you know, think about it in that way. So I, I always liked that approach. So also with the Remedy Co, you also have like a physical location now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have since, uh, 2019. Since 2019. What, what was, um, what was that like? Cause did you start just online and then move to a storefront? Yeah. Um, I was all online, but there's a lot of problems with payment processors, marketing, there's a lot of challenges with CV online, even still to this day. And, you know, I already had this space. So I figured why not put a uh, storefront on it and just let people walk in and buy stuff. So I had laboratory space in the back and the storefront in the front so I could, you know, be making stuff in the back and working. And then also handle customers when they came in. So it was pretty efficient. Nice. So is that still how it exists nowadays? Are you the only one that works there or do you have other people working under you or? Yeah, I have other people working there now. I've really been focused on the cafe for the last two years. Hmm. Okay, cool. So that basically grew from you doing everything to then you employing people and having showing them the process and kind of having that run on its own. Yeah, creating systems and and hiring people to take on a lot of the responsibilities. What was hiring like your first person like? Did you have to deal with any having a hard time trusting people to do things the way that you did them? Did that come hard or easy to you? Yeah, it's tough because when you're a small business and you're starting off, you can't really afford people who are going to be able to work as well as you do most of the time. And last what you're doing is like pretty simple and you're really good at systems, um, which is something I'm still learning about and, and skill sets I'm still working on. So yeah, there's definitely, it's, you know, it's hard to trust because, you know, certainly, people's work ethic is varying and it's also very dependent on sort of an environment that you keep and produce it's another skill set I'm still working on. So you want to make sure there's you know incentive structures in place and that there's accountability and that, that stuff is, is, is pretty difficult. And, you know, ideally you want to be hiring people that are better than you at particular tasks. But then in order to do that, you have to be able to pay those people pretty well. So it's a little bit of a catch-22 as far as 
empowering people in a way that's going to generate growth and not just kind of maintain or be a body and a placeholder. Unfortunately, you know, especially for a small business, that's and that ends up being the only thing you can afford unless you have something else like equity or or something to sweeten the pot. But hiring and the systems required in order to organize and fully utilize those employees is it's a tricky thing and, and something I'm still always learning about. Yeah, I can imagine that being a huge learning curve and a whole new set of skills once you've already mastered like your own you know, trade or, or whatever it is that you're doing. Now you have to learn these other things to kind of manage people and, and learn that whole thing. So when, when did the cafe come into the picture? When did you want to or decide to open a cafe and, and tell us a little bit more about like what the cafe is? So the cafe had been something I had envisioned really since 2019 or 2020. And it definitely evolved since then. I actually, I opened up a place in Middletown, Connecticut, right before the pandemic. And there was just some, uh, some bad partnerships involved. and it, it wasn't a good time for it. So I kind of pulled out of that venture. And, and since then kind of refined the concept and what I was looking to do and the location here in New Haven, I heard was becoming available. Fran, the previous owner, um, would be sitting in there smoking cigarettes and I'd approach her and ask her if she was looking to rent it or not. And finally, she was for a long time. She was, you know, just kind of shooing me off and telling me no, but I guess the concept came to me because I would always give people a sort of laundry list of recommendations of things that they should be doing besides just using my product and remind them that it's not like, I think probably kind of the opposite of what most CBD or natural health product companies might tell their um, customers. I was like, Hey, you know, this isn't like silver bullets, you know, like fix all of your problems you should also be exercising and trying to sleep well and on a regular cycle and eat things that are going to help reduce these chronic inflammatory cycles that you're dealing with. And I have been messing around with fermentation in my own apartment for a long while. I was making my own kombucha, yogurt, all these things, having a lot of success with that my own gut feeling really good and uh, seeing the results. And so wanting to incorporate that into the business and wanting to be able to offer the type of food and kind of not diet, but for lack of uh, better phrasing, kind of dietary practice that I recommend, but in a very convenient and out of the box way you know, wouldn't be the extent that it would be otherwise going to farms, getting all organic uh, local produce from, from those farms, fermenting it, then eating it. You know, it's a big thing to, to ask of people. And 
So the cafe is supposed to be a place where people can go and they can get the benefits of my products. They can get a lot of those same ingredients infused into food and smoothies. So like the turmeric extracts that we use at the cafe are all standardized extracts. You know, I have this Rolodex of different ingredient suppliers from the Remedy Co. that a lot of which, you know, have good flavors or pigmentations or, you know, things that I think would add value uh, food-wise. And it's also easier, you know, uh, easier to make a smoothie than it is to fill a bunch of capsules. It's uh, kind of a tedious process. So being able to kind of combine the benefits of the remedy with our standardized extracts and supplements with food as medicine approach with organic foods. And then also just apply my knowledge. I think most food, like health food spots have like really significant blind spots that they overlook and make them not a health food place at all, which I think is really sad. I would say criminal because it makes it just the same as every other restaurant. But those other restaurants aren't purporting themselves to be a place of health. So, you know, it's sad. I think there's a lot of vegan places and they'll use, you know, sort of refined enriched flowers and refined seed oils. There's, a, I think, a lot of like farm to table places. Like when I went to actually a month or two ago, but then they're still using like Cummins ketchup or whatever. And there's just, you know, like it's just window dressing at all these places where, you know, they've got like, Oh, here, like these are the farms that we got these specific things from, but like, don't worry about these ingredients. Mm-hmm. Right. It's more so just a marketing tactic than it is like actually we care about what you're eating. Yeah. Sort of I mean, it's got, it's got to be all the ingredients or it just doesn't even matter. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so at the cafe, you try to incorporate a more holistic approach to having a health food. Yeah. It's a combination of fermented ingredients, standardized extracts from the remedy co that you know would be used in a capsule or, or any sort of supplement my kind of nutrition and ingredient knowledge you know formulation so i really see you know as making a sauce or, or a meal as a, a formulation and you know each of these ingredients have different properties that either provide health benefits or not everything that we offer is something that really provides health benefit and together provide even more benefit and we keep out anything that might cause some harm or anything that might compromise that at all so refined sugar refined flour refined seed oils all these things you know they just make their way into just about every meal that you can get at any restaurant anywhere all the time. And then so, okay, even if you get like a steak and a salad, 
oh wait, but that steak was fed a bunch of GMO well, corn and soy. So it's not even about necessarily the food you have in front of you. There's layers to that. If the food that you're consuming was fed a bunch of chemical fertilizers and pesticides and herbicides or food that's been genetically modified and soaked in pesticides and herbicides and mold, that's still what you're consuming just one step away. So you think, you know, you look at a menu and you're, and you're thinking, Oh, I'm making the smart choice. I'm getting the salad. But guess what? That salad has a salad dressing is 75% refined seed oils. All of those leaves have been saturated with pesticides and herbicides and then fed synthetic fertilizers their entire life. Oh wait, that's not actually the healthy option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely a place that at least for somebody who like tries to eat healthier good, it's it's like, yeah, it's that chain reaction because everything's so globalized, like you don't know where anything's coming from or how it was grown or what it was fed when it was grown and that sort of thing. I'm sure we could have an entire podcast about nutrition and thinking about like making smart decisions and, and that sort of thing. But we are coming towards the end of our time and had a bunch of things I wanted to ask you. Uh, one other thing I did want to ask you is the like last sort of thing. I do notice, follow you on Instagram and you post a lot and you're consistent. And I wanted to ask you about something in particular. So you have like a page for yourself, you have a page for the remedy, and then you have a page for the cultured cafe. I noticed that you post things together and like, you know, post them all, all from the same pages. So like personal cafe remedy. I think that that's interesting because I think about the idea of like you as a business owner and you as a person, and it seems like they're similar. And I kind of like, I like that idea of that, like you're showing who you are and that's who your business is. And to me, the more of yourself you can be, the more people will be drawn to you because, you know, you're, everybody's unique in in their own way. And the more that they can be themselves, the more like, I think that attracts people to you. So I think you do a good job of like, just making a video of yourself and then being able to post it across the businesses. And it kind of all makes sense because it's all you and like authentic. Um, I wonder if that's like an intentional thing that you do, or if it's something that you just do without thinking about. Yeah. Part of it is out of convenience and expediency. Um, but I think uh, there's definitely, I mean, I definitely have, I'm aware that both of my businesses are really predicated on my own experience, my own gut. Like I always said at the remedy, you know, there's the research, the existing body of research, you know, that I'm reading that's getting me intrigued about a subject. And then there, you know, is the, is the mechanisms and my understanding of how they work in the body and how they, a particular compound might synergize or stack well with another compound that maybe I have in the formula. But in the end, there's really my experience with a particular compound and no matter what the research says and, you know, what's down on paper, if I don't feel what 
I'm looking to feel or something significant or, you know, if I'm not getting a satisfactory result, then I'm not going to include it in a formula. I'm not just going on blind faith. I'm not just listening to what somebody else says and I'm not going to try and convince someone else that they should just have faith in what someone's just telling me that I'm just passing on. And I think that's what probably 95% of health related businesses are out there is just someone just relaying something that someone told them that they're just having faith in. And I think this really kind of shows the continuity of my experience as a drug dealer, my experience as a whatever I am, natural health product formulator is that, you know, you, you're not being protected by like your boy or your dealer or someone selling you natural health products. You're not being protected by them being a good guy and having good intentions. Like that stuff only goes so far and it's just almost a non-starter at all. Like the only thing that's going to protect you or help you is knowledge and research and application. And of course, you want good intentions behind all of that. And you want someone to, to be genuine and to be a good guy. Obviously, all that stuff is great and important, but built on top of a foundation of deep understanding and research and, and all that being applied. And I feel I feel like that was something that came up a lot when talking to people about drugs and natural health products. Both, I mean, almost indistinguishable. But you know, people always say, "Yeah, you know, he's a really good guy." You know, I trust him. It's like, why do you trust him? Is is this tested? You know, is it from a sort like has it been through mass spec? Have you used test regions on it? Like what? there's objective ways of of knowing and so i i think i've I've strayed from from your question but yeah i think (laughs) i think it's really important to be genuine and just be yourself and i think there's a lot of people out there who are playing a role and trying really hard to do a thing and convince people of a thing but if it's not something natural if it's not something for you, I guess, I guess this is like a one way that I'm a bit of like an Ayn Randian, although I really don't like her writing, is that I think it really, you really do have to put yourself first and it really does have to be about you. And if it's not personal and if you're not enveloped in it and, and, and obsessed with it and personally benefiting from it and, and have that personal experience to go with knowledge and fastidious research, then, you know, you're just repeating something you you were told. It's just a superstition. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, it's, it's almost like the anti-capitalist type of business. Like you're not just doing it for the money, which I guess is your own benefit, but you're doing it more so for your own benefit and then helping other people because it's benefiting you. And yeah, I really like the idea of helping yourself first and then you'll be able to then help the people around you. And it seems like that's how you've, you know, existed all of these businesses or created all these businesses is having yourself be the test subject and then being able to take that knowledge elsewhere. And I think that that's a really, I don't know, holistic way to to do something. Um, and I, I appreciate that. But before we go, I do want to 
give you a chance to tell people where they can follow you and, you know, maybe where they can find you cafe wise and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, totally. So you can find uh, my products from the Remedy Co. at theremedycares.com or you can go, come to our store in uh, Wallingford, Connecticut. It's at 43 North Colony Road. So come say hi. And then we also have the Cultured Cafe and you can find us online at cultured.cafe. We have a monthly box that we're offering currently so you can get a variety of our different fermented items directly to your door every month. The consistency is really the most important factor when it comes to really any natural health practice. But fermented foods in particular, doctors really recommend three to five servings a day. What a serving is is not clearly defined in any sort of way by anyone and the doctors will defer to the manufacturers and I promise you the manufacturers just made it up at their convenience but three to five servings is far more than most people are getting in a day and so having that in your fridge and being stocked with it is going to be the best way to do that and having us bring it to your door every month will be the by far the most convenient way of doing that and you just have to remember that most of the probiotics fermented food items you can find in the store have been pasteurized, have been created from a powdered capsule probiotic, which are dead, and takes about three to four life cycles to bring them back to life, not just one. A lot of them have been sitting on the shelf for a long time, so they're not fresh. Um, a lot of them do not have very robust probiotic profiles or particularly impactful strains of probiotics. Many of them have preservatives, added sugars, things that totally neutralize the benefits of them. So you think you're kind of uh, doing a good thing by grabbing this up at the store. Unfortunately, a lot of the time, it is just a marketing ploy or just for flavor or texture or whatever sort of kind of externality comes from the fermentation process and not from the probiotic benefit that you uh, hopefully are looking to receive from it. So there's a lot of benefits getting your fermented foods from us at the cafe. And uh, you find us at www.cultured.cafe. So cultured with ED. And you can come see us at uh, 965 State Street in New Haven, Connecticut. Awesome. And I will definitely include links in the show notes so people don't have to search. They can just click the link in the show notes. And uh, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for being vulnerable and sharing your experiences and your stories with us. I appreciate it. And I think uh, you're doing good with your businesses. And uh, I hope the best for you in the future and best of luck with the cafe and, and everything else you do. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. This is fun. Thank you for listening to Working Towards Our Purpose. If you liked today's episode and are interested in more, you can sign up for my Substack newsletter with the link in the show notes where I share thoughts, tips, and ideas that I'm learning along my journey to help inspire you. The show was produced by Pleasant Podcast at pleasantpodcast.com.